You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 235 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Malisha. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. What's been happening in Gina world before we get stuck into all things photography? I've had the best day. It's Sunday, Tell me right? Why. And yeah. I've just well, I've decided well, we're, that we're recording been... on a Sunday, but of yeah. course, listeners, you can be listening on any day. Yeah, but uh, I decided that I'm going to have a day for me. And uh, let me tell you that one of the joys of having the house to yourself, all millennials are out of the house. I repeat, (laughs) all millennials are out of the house. It's just me and the the pets. I've just sat around in my undies all day. It's so liberating to be able to do that. You know, it's the best. Do you get The best day. Pardon? Do you get cold? cold. No, it's just like, very comfortable. No, it's hot okay. here. Okay. You're right, right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Ooh. I've been out in the deck on the sun and just wandering around, listening to podcasts. I've had a great <laughs> day. And I know you've been having a really chill afternoon too, Val. What have you been doing? I had a foot massage this afternoon, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good. And you're yeah. a couple of G&Ts in, I understand, Oh, Val. yeah, so because I didn't have lunch and the only thing that was in the fridge yeah. was some cheese and quince paste left over from yesterday. Yeah. So I decided to, okay, I'll have the cheese and quince paste. And I thought, oh, that could really go with a G&T. Yeah. And so I poured myself a G&T and, yeah, it's a bit stronger than I remember this particular gin, but it's good. It's good. <laughs> Well, it is Sunday, so cheers to it's anyone Sunday. who's also having a G&T as they listen to the podcast. Exactly, or any form of beverage, even if you're having chamomile tea, Yuck. you know, cheers. You don't I'm like having, chamomile tea? No, tea? black tea. I'm having black tea. It's beautiful. I love okay. tea. Love tea so much. Yes, I had to buy a new teapot during the week because mine broke. But anyway, that's... It's probably First unnecessary information. Valerie. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's been happening in your world? Well, I stumbled across uh, a really cool link uh, mm. and uh, I wanted to share it with everyone because I think it would be handy for photographers who are using Instagram and yes. particularly if you have under 10,000 followers and, mm-hmm. and you want to share your work and you've got more than one link to share. So you know how you see a lot of the the Insta-famous who have got, you know, 10,000 plus followers and they'll have something and they'll have their link in their bio and in their bio they've got more than one link because they've got, you know, so many different followers or that you can actually direct 
people directly from that post, right? If you've got 10,000 plus followers. And then for anyone else who has under that uh, and you want to direct someone, say, to a particular part of your website. So you might have a a website that where you've got your, say, your wedding photos, but you also, your wedding folio, but you might also (laughs) be a portrait photographer doing headshots, which is a separate audience. Or a pet photographer. Or a pet photographer, or you might be running something completely different, or you might have written a book, or you might have have a blog post that you want to direct your Instagram followers to. Uh, So what you would normally do is, you know, follow the link in the bio. Some people change the link per post, and it can be really uh, annoying and a real hassle. There is uh, something called Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R-E-E, and I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's basically linktree.ee. Uh, and no, it's, it's linktr.ee. Oh, linkt, sorry. Hey? No, linktr.ee. Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, that You go to that website and for free you can set up multiple links uh so basically in your bio on instagram you have one link and someone will go to your uh instagram bio click on that one link and it takes them to a page and it looks like the front of your phone basically and then under that you can list all the different links that you want to send people to so you could send people to your blog to your wedding folio to your headshot folio you can list a whole heap of them so I think it's really handy I've got you know all of my links set up now and and that's free and I think there's a a, a pro version where you can customize it and put photos on the back and have your social media icons uh, and on all of that on it but I think that's a really cool little feature yeah I think it's a great idea I use linktree and I think that it's um really useful like you said it's free and um instead of saying uh writing caption and then saying link in bio and then a few days later saying link in bio if it's a different link mm. which is what we used to have to do you can actually put a bunch of links in in linktree and um and direct people to that so it's a good one we'll put the link in the show notes but otherwise just google linktree and um, you'll you'll find it as in link and L I N K and tree like the tr- tree with leaves on it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> yes. so now you have a pretty exciting tour coming up, Gina. This is yes. very very cool. Yeah, so I am running a workshop in Sicily. So it's six days on the ground that we'll be working, going to all my favourite places around Sicily where we will be doing, it's an intensive workshop. So we will be doing uh, lighting and posing and directing and getting off auto and post-production and everything. So uh, this is a great opportunity if you're a beginner, if you're an enthusiast or even a pro who really wants that intensive one-on-one training where you can learn all these things and eat beautiful food and experience the beautiful hospitality of Sicily. It's run by Sicilian Food Tours and they've been doing, we've been doing these tours together for about five years now, Val, six years coming into six years. Uh, I do them every 
few years with, with them. And uh, so it's a very small group. I think there's a few spots still left. So if you want to check it out, there's a link in the show notes, uh, but it's sicilianfoodtours.com. Uh, I would love to work with you. And if that's not everyone, of course, can, uh, you know, and it's May, uh, 2019 so 27th of May to 2nd of June Uh, if you can't do that then maybe uh, you might want to think about getting some mentoring in the gold community Val where for the gold members while I'm over there I will be filming some tutorials for for them on the streets of Sicily where camera is following me around and you'll get to see what I'm saying to people why I'm using this particular light how I'm using this particular light and everything that goes with it and then obviously in these tutorials I show the thought process and then how I edit the images so that that's another way that you can maybe uh, enjoy the Sicily tour without leaving home (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you want to find out more about the awesome gold community, just have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my gold community. The gold community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, so let's move on to this week's topic. I think this is really cool. It's called Five Things Every Photographer Must Know. Goodness me, Gina, five things that every photographer must know. What are they? Where do we start? Yeah, so uh, this is not what people will expect, but these are the five. I think these are the five most important things that every photographer should know, okay, and must know uh, to be successful and by success that could be to take great images or to have a successful business whatever you know or both uh so the first one val you ready for this okay you need to know that your mind is an a-hole and that's the first thing that you need to master that's very nice thought gina Mm. (laughs) here's the things that i think about Okay. Your mind is an a-hole yeah. and is the very first thing that needs to be mastered. All yeah. Right? So what, I need to share a quote. I need to share a quote. 
Please right, so do. Inside of don't me. Don't let me stop you. Don't <laughs> do you need another drink before <laughs> I share? You just hear Val in the background pouring herself another drink. Uh, inside of me, there are two dogs. One is mean and evil and the other is good and they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer the one I feed the most. And so I love that That is quote. very profound. Now, mm, who said it? Sitting bull. Oh, okay. A very wise man. <laughs> yeah. So, so Val, imagine, right, you're sitting around in your house at home, okay, and you, you, you know, having a nice Sunday afternoon, you're sitting out there on the deck enjoying your uh, G&T and quince paste and, <laughs> yes. and uh, what else do you have with that cheese, I suppose? White Costello. Yeah. Is that like that, um, is that that cheese that's a bit mouldy? It is, except the one that no. I just had was... <laughs> Okay, well, you don't like it, but I love it. It's too Let's just, sharp. So it's not anyway. actually. No, 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 no. This one, it, they've actually toned it down by like 99%. In, in fact, it's so toned down that I'm not going to buy it anymore. I'm going to buy the blue cheese. No. So, okay. um, all right. So, but you're having a lovely afternoon, perhaps watching, you know, the sunset, just chilling there on your own drinking your G&T, eating your mouldy cheese, right? It's a beautiful <laughs> yes. image. So, yes. and you're sitting there and imagine if um, some uninvited guests just come around. Oh, yes. And join you in your home oh. and then they start telling you about, reminding you of all the mistakes you've ever made in your life. Yeah, right. Right? Or telling you that, you know, you're never going to amount to anything or uh, it's no point attempting anything new because you'll probably just fail just like that time in grade two, you know, when you tried (laughs) to play basketball and you never got any goals and you didn't get any game time. Remember that? Or when you tried to draw. I used to have a friend like that who would drop over unannounced (laughs) and would do all of those things except for say you'll never amount to anything. But she used to do definitely the first thing and and the the third thing. Uh, So... If you had these friends, I name these friends and I call them worry and fear and they come into your home. Worry and fear. And fear. And they come into your home, they swagger in, they always swagger in. They're so up themselves. They come in uninvited, they sit, they put their feet up on the furniture and they eat all my Nutella. Oh, okay. I don't like (laughs) Which is the biggest sin. Well, that's just such a sin. Don't put your feet on my furniture and don't eat my Nutella Uninvited, okay. like I wouldn't even. I just like that stays hidden in the top for those late night sessions, right? I don't mm-hmm. like them, and often, you know, when they they like to come around, Val, they come at three a.m. That's when okay. these uninvited and wake guests you up? they wake me up, and then they Ooh. sit there and tell me about all the things I've done wrong in my life, and all the things I need to worry about and be afraid <laughs> of and fear. All right. And they're bullies. And like these are the guests that we invite into our mind on a daily basis. All right. Fear and worry. And so often that that three o'clock, have you ever woken at three o'clock going, here's something I I, need to worry about. Let me worry about this now. And I No, because I'm still up. Oh, that's right. You don't have that. So that's probably 7 a.m. for you. (laughs) So. There, there are a couple of ways to avoid this, Val. You can never go to sleep. Yeah. 
right? And then you'll never have to worry about that. Or you can learn to understand that that to recognize these thoughts for what they are uninvited guess and recognize yes. them as just thoughts you're not your thoughts and these all yes. come from different places and so i think that one of the most important things as artists that we need to do is get control of that and uh take steps to uh get over anxiety and fear so fear is one of the biggest things that kills creativity you know over everything so the 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 worry that I won't succeed if I try this oh I really want to do uh get off auto with my camera I'm not very good at this I'm never going to understand it the actual thought process then starts of all the reasons why you shouldn't do something and before you know it You've talked yourself out of doing it because you'll probably fail, whereas the actual act of doing it it ends up being a lot easier than you thought. Have you ever sort of talked yourself out of doing something because you've you've worried about – probably not, Valerie. You have the most healthy (laughs) – Finish the sentence. (laughs) Healthy mindset of it. You just confidently do everything. So No, I don't. Obviously weren't raised by a neurotic Sicilian mother like I was. It kept reminding me, trust no one and you always fail, so don't try. Oh my god. Okay. But Getting control of that and we've got like we collect all these thoughts as we go through our life and, you know, all these things, all these ways that we try and talk our way out of doing it, doing, trying new things or having a go at something or, you know, even as basic as, all right, I've got a photo, I'm going to share it on social media and then you go, no, hang on, it's actually not that good. I'm not very good. I better not share it because if I share this photo and then the thought process continues on down the track until you end up thinking, if I share this photo, I'm going to uh, end up alone and die alone in a ditch, (laughs) right? Because one thing leads to another and, you know, and you can talk yourself out of these things. So, So getting that... Everybody has that. Even you, Val, I'm sure has have yes. you know some fear about something, of course. right? Of course. Uh, and so, learning how to control that, I think, is one of the most important things you, you can do in your life as an artist, because you'll only ever rise to the to the level that you believe. So, how do you, you control should. it? Well, it's learning to um, recognize those thoughts as just thoughts. You are not your thoughts, and understand. Understanding that like our brain, our mind that thinks these thoughts is designed, if we go back to when it was first invented, back in the Stone Age, Val, when we were just living in caves, there wasn't any social media and there were real threats to us as, as people in those times. And so the mind was then protect, was designed to protect us from real threats to our lives. So we had to, it had to look for things to be afraid of, like a lion might come and eat you or a dinosaur might step on you, right? So you, were, you, you, you had to be worried about these things. Now, fast forward to most of us, most of us, I'm going to say, live in areas where you can fairly safely know that if you step outside your home, you're not going to be eaten by a lion, right? So yeah. there, there isn't any 
real danger that your life is not going to be in danger. So the mind now has nothing to do. So it's going to invent threats to us. And that might be, if I post this photo on the internet, I'm going to die alone in a ditch. All right. So recognizing how the mind works and how fear works and how it's, it's not real. It's just stuff that you're making up is, is a, a, going to be a really important factor into, into um, gaining that confidence. And the way to do that, Valerie, is to do things in small increments and see what happens. It's like if you, what do you and mean? I know you've example. done this, I, I'll give you an example. So when you first got your cats, right, you were allergic to them, weren't you? I was allergic to one of them. Right. And how – then you went and saw – I think you saw a naturopath. What is it a that the naturopath – huh? Kinesiologist. A kinesiologist. How, well, an anti-allergy clinic. The actually. anti-allergy clinic. How did they uh, find a way to uh, help you with those allergies? What is it that they did? Did they take that cat and <laughs> rub it in your face – for seven weeks until you just eventually just went, all right, this is fine. I'm not allergic anymore. They didn't do that, no. did they? What did they do? They did it by process of elimination to find, to figure out what exactly I was allergic to. Was it the fur? Was it the saliva? Was it the, you know, whatever. The What, what, what was it? So they knew, you know, which bit to treat kind of thing. And then did they give you a little bit of that? A tiny, tiny dose of that, so your body could develop some immunity to that. No, this is no, they probably didn't. not the best example. Damn it! <laughs> it's, it's a bit unusual. I'm so proud of me myself. and my cats. Much as I love talking about my cats, perhaps you can give us a photography example. All right, so uh, let's give the example of approaching. Uh, one, say you want to photograph. Uh, do a stranger project, photographing strangers okay. on the street. Good example. Uh, the the probably a way to really put the fear of God into yourself and make it really scary, particularly if you're a shy kind of person, is to say to you, hey, Val, I want you to do a stranger project, all right? So I want you to photograph a 100 strangers. So what I want you to do is go and head to the busiest street in Sydney tomorrow morning and I want you to approach the first person that you see and say, hey, I want to take your photo. Does that not give you anxiety even at the thought? I even get yes. anxiety at yes. that. And I've I done would freak the, out. a lot of this. I wouldn't my, do it. I wouldn't and most people it. freak out and most people think that that's what they need to do to be able to photograph strangers. But what I'm saying is something like this, you need to kind of – immunize yourself and do it little bit by bit so that you get used to it it's like getting into the water you can either dive in and like into an ice cold uh you know ice bath you can just take the plunge or you can go bit by bit by bit and as you get in you get used to it all right so Mm -hmm. finding ways that you can um get used to it and build your confidence so maybe the first thing that you do is not photograph a stranger but like the very first step is to buy yourself a styrofoam head Mm -hmm. and just in the privacy of your own bedroom you (laughs) and that styrofoam head are going to get to know each other and you're going to photograph that head The head's not going to judge you, all right? And you're going to build up your confidence 
in relation to how you take the photo, how you set your camera. And you might just do that on, take your camera out and do that on in auto. And you might spend a month doing that until you're comfortable to then leave the house with your styrofoam head and go outside the front door. And then just outside the front door and try again. Same thing using daylight. And then you might go out across the road into a paddock and try again and then right and so till the point where you're shooting in manual mode and you're really confident and you can almost do it blindfolded and you find your you find your composition you know what your settings are you're very confident doing that with a styrofoam head okay so you've built up your confidence then step two photograph someone that you know very well and so it might be a partner a child a a family member a very close friend a pet right Mm -hmm. and then you build up from there and then from there you might do friend of a friend and then till you end up with okay I'm confident with my camera settings I'm now going to photograph a stranger and for the first couple of times you might need to bring someone as moral support who's going to say go on you can do it it's okay or maybe I'll ask for you and just do, 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 do you see how it works it's bit yes. by bit by bit by bit okay so that is uh doing it bit by bit to get get up the confidence to do things but my question is once you've done it already you've done the thing and you've got a bunch of files to images to send to a client the next day and you wake up at 3am because fear and worry have tapped you on the shoulder and they've said to you the files the photos you've just taken are crap and Mm. the client's going to hate them Mm. so Maybe you can speak to that as opposed to, you know, as in when you've already done it and then fear and worry turn up. So here's the thing. The more that you challenge yourself in these situations, the more resilience you develop. So maybe the first time you're about to send these images to the client and you're thinking, oh my God, the client's going to hate them. You've got to, you've got to, jump in at that point and send them and then you'll probably more than likely get that response oh my god they're amazing and from that you get confidence Valerie but isn't fear and worry a good thing in a certain sense like yes if it if if you think gee they are they they're not um sharp enough or they're not uh they need a little bit more Photoshop to make the colors more vibrant. Isn't that a good thing if you're woken up at 3 a.m. for you to provide excellence? So here's how our minds think differently, Val. So you're 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 already down the track thinking, how can I make this better? Whereas I'm, yeah, right, which is great. But if you're saying, what if what if you're the type of person that's a perfectionist and is always going to be worried about that that final result and even if that product was absolutely perfect and you've got this fear and worry in your mind anyway? Sure. I mean, it applies to all types, whether you're, mm. you're a perfectionist or not. So if 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 you recognise that the image is a bit soft or it needs contrast, then you get up at three and fix it, all right? But if you're 
constantly facing that, you know, that insecurity of, I don't know if the client's going to like it. The only way that you're going to find out is, again, if you send it to the client and get get their response. And from there, that's how you develop that resilience and that confidence in that, you know, oh my God, I was worried about this, but they just like, they loved the shots or they were so happy or they had one little critique that, you know, maybe next time, can you give us more uh, variations and give us more vertical options and a few more horizontal options? And then that's part of the learning process, right? Mm. Yes. So it's okay. about developing that resilience and, and learning that you, you need to push through and also doing stuff. You, you don't need to know all of this all at once, but also, you know, sort of go in and do things bit by bit by bit and push yourself and develop that resilience. Yeah, and also I think be happy to say, hey, I'm open to any feedback you might have so that um, we can make sure that, uh, you know, I'm providing you with the images that you that you need. I think that a lot of people aren't don't kind of leave that opening yeah. and, and kind of go take it or leave it, so, which no, isn't and that's, necessarily that's, the right approach. No, that's an important thing, which leads us to our, our next point, Val, and that's uh, learn yeah. how to ask for constructive criticism and understand, you know, and know the difference between good and bad critiques, you know. So, yeah. um, and that can be uh, as a photographer delivering images for, to the client, you know, or even the photographer that's learning. So if I look back over my 30-year uh, history I'm still kicking myself uh, about the time very early on in my career where I assisted a number of world-class photographers, okay? And I'm assisting them and I was too intimidated to ask them anything. Do you know why? Because you were intimidated. (laughs) So I'd watch them shoot and that was really valuable. It's, you know... Being in the room and being able to watch someone shoot, how they, you know, interact with the the, the subject, how they light and all of that, that's fantastic. But uh, what I should have been doing at that time is each night going home and going, okay, what, what did they do? They put the light there, let, let me experiment. And at the same time, I should have been at the end of the shoot going, you know, when you put that light there, why? And you know when you said that, why? But I didn't because my pride stopped me because I cared about what they thought about me. And in my mind, I thought that they wouldn't respect me if I asked dumb questions because in my mind, uh, I wanted to be, I thought it was way cooler to pretend I knew everything, right? And then go away and be ignorant about the whole thing. So if we fast forward to 30 years now to today, the thing that I tell all my assistants and all my students is there's no such thing as a dumb question. And I actually uh, have more respect for the people who will ask me something a hundred times than the ones who never ask anything. So... Well, I certainly don't have respect for people who ask me something a hundred times. Well, the same maybe thing 100 not a hundred times. You clearly didn't listen to me for a hundred <laughs> times. So no. <laughs> but ask, ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. And, you know, if you have that opportunity and you're with someone who will 
give you honest feedback and critique. And it is the person that actually has honest feedback and critique that will be valuable to you because there's different um, feedback and critique. You know, if I ask my mum what she thinks of my photos, the critique I'm going to get is going to be completely different to if I ask, say, a photographer that's 10 years down the track from me, right? It's going to be different. My mum's always going to go, I I like this or I don't like this, but it's not going to be valuable critique. It's going to be nice, but not as good. So I think the turning point for me came uh, a few years after I was assisting, uh, like two years after I was assisting, I had a uh, three-month stint in a dark room and I was working with uh, some photography professionals in there and I was building my photography business at the time so on weekends and after hours I'd be shooting uh, headshots for people and then I'd bring bring in my films and process them in the dark room on their time with all their materials (laughs) (laughs) but these guys uh, who were amazing would be over my shoulder going how'd you shoot that and I go I used uh, this film and these were my settings what lens did you use I use this hey have you thought about do and then they'd give me all these uh, strategies and techniques and I'm like no I never thought about that I'll try that on the weekend and I'd go on the weekend and I'd do exactly what they said to me exactly what they said to me and I'd come back on the Monday and I'm like okay I did it what do you think they're like yeah that's good now, why don't you try this? And that three months, I learned more about photography in that with with that sort of mentor, you know, relationship with the, here, yes. here's my work. Okay, try this. And it was like, it's not that they pushed me. It's not like they would say, hmm, you're shooting with daylight. Now you should try 16 lights. They weren't giving me stuff that I wasn't capable of. Every week was like a little nudge in the right direction. And so they knew not to sort of completely take away all my confidence. They just, you know, it was fantastic. All right. Great advice. So let's move on to the next one. What is the third thing every photographer must know? Uh, that learn about light. Light is everything, Valerie. Everything. Everything. So. All right. (laughs) Um, I think there are three elements to a great portrait. You've got light, you've got subject, and you've got location. Which is the most important? Light. Mm. Well, considering that I've just said light (laughs) is everything, was kind of like, you know, if we were playing for the million dollars. You know how sometimes the host will give you the answer and then you get the ones that they just don't get it? So it's like, okay, so we've got light, subject, location. Which one is it? And Valerie, for the million dollars, it is? Do you want some think music? Do you need a lifeline? <laughs> Do you watch Hard Quiz? Do I watch it's what? It's so funny. Don't know. Hard Quiz. No. It's, show. it's so funny. Okay, don't worry. Anyway, <laughs> light is everything. But light. anything in particular about light? Because that's very broad. Well... So if light location subject played paper, scissors, rock, light always wins. Okay. Okay. Because you can have a beautiful subject in the most amazing location, but if the light is kaka, technical word kaka, your image will be ruined by poor light. Yes. So 
it's really important that when you're organized and a lot of people get caught out by this you 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 get dazzled by the beautiful location you'll see the location and you'll see all of it and you go oh my god this is an amazing location it's amazing look at that for a backdrop let me put a person in front of it and you take the shot and you go oh it doesn't it doesn't really work as well and that's because you need the light light is everything so that's really important and I think again it's that step-by-step approach and the great thing about the last 10 years is everything is out there about photography there's so much information you can find out how to do a 10 light setup you can find out how to light with daylight you can find out everything you need to know and so all that information then Photographers that are learning will think, okay, great, here's a 10 light setup. I'm going to replicate that, but I'm not really sure what each of the lights is doing and I don't really know why I'm using the light and when I need to use it. And so that ends up being a problem. So I think, and often when you're using artificial lighting, you probably could have gotten away with daylight only but if you're not sure what you're doing you're always and I was guilty of this Val because I always felt like when I was starting out and clients were paying me for a shoot I'd walk up to a a scene and I'm think oh yeah the light looks really good in here but Mm. I need to light it because well I can't just use daylight because that's cheating Mm -hmm. right so (laughs) I'd pull out five lights and I'd light the scene right and Overlighted. it. I overlit everything. And that's kind of like, I, I felt like, well, I'm a professional photographer. I need to overlight everything. But if you see a lot of experienced photographers with quite a few years under their belt, you'll notice that they, they work with light minimally and they know how to manipulate artificial light and they can make it look like daylight. So they can mimic beautiful lighting. So The step-by-step approach I would take for something like this is to really learn natural lighting first and so to spend a great deal of time just working with daylight. And so if you're shooting portraits, start learning and it it won't take you long. At first, it'll be a fluke. You'll photograph someone in this position and you'll go, oh yeah, that light looks really good. And then you'll move them and you'll go, oh wow, this light looks amazing. So you'll go back to that location at a different time of the day and go, oh, it doesn't look as good today. And then you'll figure out that, oh, hang on, it's the time of day and even the time of the year is going to influence how that shot will look. So you need to kind of develop an understanding of, you know, what sort of what is good light for portraits and when to use directional light and when to use the one that I taught you that you love to death, Val, is? Garage lighting. Yes. And so you now know garage lighting so well that you could probably teach garage lighting 101. <laughs> and I guess you do. You probably go, hey, put, put it here. And you can even tell people <laughs> that are photographing you. If they don't look like they're sure, you go, no, 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 let's stand over here. It's good light. <laughs> And it's and it's really handy. So once you've mastered light and you you can you can manipulate daylight and you know where to position your model in relation to the light to get different. So you can get flat light where you have the light behind you. You can get side lighting where you put the light source to the side. So it might be a window to the side. You can backlight. There's all sorts of things, that, all sorts of ways that you can light and manipulate daylight. 
And then you can start to understand the subtle little differences between very early morning light where the shadows are long and the light can be quite contrasty to say midday light where it's quite hard and high up and and late evening light and the different kinds of light where you've got clouds or no cloud cover and you start to recognize all the different qualities of light. That's when you want to... Can I tell you a funny story mm-hmm. about um, location scouting and good light? Yeah. So when I was much younger, I got this freelance gig basically location scouting for a television show. It was like a science show and they had to do lots of um, two-camera shots like, um, you know, on location to illustrate whatever it is that they were talking about. Yeah. And I'm decent at locations, at, you know, picking where a good shot would be. And um, and so I got this gig as a, as a freelance location scout and I showed them my locations also because I kind of knew the city quite well, um, well, the kind of places that they needed. So I took these shots, not just happy snaps, not actual shots, yeah. just to show them – these, this is the location. And they were like, oh, this is great. You know, that's a great, there's a whole list of um, maybe eight locations. Yeah. Because they had to shoot it all like in a day. So we had to go from location to location and um, they had to go from location to location. And uh, um, and they agreed that they, it was a good location. It made sense for the shot because I understand the context of the what the, talking head was supposed to be saying. Yeah. And um, so I thought that was great. And then after it, well, I didn't get used again, Gina, because <laughs> after it, I'm, they, I was like, oh, yeah, how was the shoot, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah, you know that one? Because one was, say, by the – it was a um, an ocean pool by the – you know, it's one of the ocean pools. Yeah. And they said, yeah, we didn't use that shot, even though it did look great in my shot. And then there was a, another one sort of outside the hospital uh, and, yeah, we didn't go with that location. <laughs> and the thing is, great location, great subject, great light, but the ocean had this big pump next to it. So it, there's audio with television, Whoa. right? <laughs> the hospital had ambulances coming and going all the time and there's audio with television, right? right. But Because... I was so used to photography. Yeah. I never even considered audio so dumb. <laughs> and that's why half the locations, even though perfect in an image, yeah. didn't work. Bummer. But you Bummer. were able to yeah. find the good locations, so that's good. They would have been good for photography, yeah. but not, not for perfect. what they needed. Well, I hope you've saved all those locations for, you know, whenever we happen to be shooting in that area. Shooting so- a science show, yeah. <laughs> So once you've, once you've mastered daylight, and I would spend a great deal of time, like take your time because it takes a while for a photographer to actually start to see the subtle differences. And I guess it's like um, uh, d- developing your palate when, when, when you eat. So at first you might try blander foods and then you uh, – wine is a good example for this. Like when you're young, Val, right – Mm. All wine tastes the same. So does all all spirits. Like I think when you're a teenager and you're breaking into your parents' cabinet and 
drinking all the alcohol, <laughs> it all tastes the same. Terrible. Like you, you can't tell the subtle differences and you go for the sweeter okay. ones. But as you get older, you can tell, I know you like a good scotch, don't you? Yeah. And yes. uh, you're also partial to a good red, I believe. No, uh, no, no. Pinot Grigio. Oh, Pinot. Pinot but you, you, you can tell a good white from a not so good white. You, you could probably, if someone, you, know what? you can't tell. I actually tell. can't. Really? Well, here's the thing. My <gasps> partner thinks it's fantastic because the um, wines that I actually genuinely like better are the cheaper ones. So you so could go I, for the Chateau Clearly I don't have cardboard. a refined planet. Yeah. <laughs> You're a cheap date. I don't date. have a refined planet. I yeah. am a cheap date. Well, generally people do develop that palate and as they drink more <laughs> wine, they can tell the subtle differences. And as you get really good at wine drinking, you'll go, oh, there's subtle hints of walnut in this one yes. or I can tell the fruity text, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And and mm-hmm. I think the same is for the, the same can be said for seeing light and you start to see the subtle differences of shadow and direction of light and that's a good thing. Once you've kind of got your head around understanding daylight and knowing how to expose for it, that's when you start to add the artificial light. And then, again, it's a step-by-step approach. Don't just jump in and go to the six-light setup for your first time because you're not going to know or understand what each light is doing. It's a lot easier to learn lighting if you do it with one light one light and use it outside so use your a speed light simple speed light with an umbrella as fill light and that's probably the easiest lighting you can use as your first time and then as you start to understand that then you move to the harder styles of, of lighting like you move up to a, a softbox and then you might try some of the harder lighting modifiers like a grid spot or a beauty dish because with those lights a millimeter of movement in the light like left or right up or down can make a world of difference to how your portrait looks so if you start with that First off, it's can it can often be discouraging, and you'll you'll try lighting, and but you won't understand why you're getting this huge shadow across the face from the nose, and it can be just a matter of learning how to finesse that lighting. So just slowing down and um, backing up a little bit and trying different lighting styles, and then again, about the styrofoam head that we use to get our courage up to go and talk to people can help you in lighting. This is something, again, you can do in the comfort of your home. Get your styrofoam head, set it up in your lounge room or your bedroom and start with a simple speed light and an umbrella and practice your lighting there without them having to judge you or ask you what you're doing or roll your eyes because you're taking too long. And this is such a good way to train yourself up and learn to recognize the difference between good and cucker lighting. All right, fantastic. So let's move on to uh, number four. Yes. What's number four? I think every photographer needs to know the benefit of shooting personal projects. And again, Val, this was the biggest game changer for me. And I have to say that when I was starting out, probably for the first uh, 10 years or so, I, I would shoot very minimal personal projects I just shot the the jobs that I needed to shoot and every six months I go I might do a personal project but I never 
did things that I wanted to do. I shot things where I thought, I think there's some holes in my folio. I probably should have more fashion in there, even though I didn't want to shoot fashion, Val. Or I see Mm. that this particular style of photography is very trendy right now. I should have more of that style in my folio. So I do one or two of those. And you know what? My heart wasn't really in it, but I just did it because I – I felt like I had to do it. And so that was the extent yeah. of my f- personal projects. And it wasn't till a long way down the track that, and I was at that point where I was just working, doing so many shoots and I could see my folio looking so commercial. And uh, for me, my heart was like starting to not be in it, Val. And I was starting to not love photography as much. And then I took a trip and for the first time, but up until then, whenever I travelled, I left my camera at home because I so associated my camera with work. So if I was on a holiday, I would, wouldn't take a camera. This time I'm like, I'm going to take my camera and I'm going to just wander around and take photos for a week. And I did. And for no one, for no agenda, just because. I just went out and I was in Rome and I wandered the streets of Rome and I shot and it made a huge difference to how my photography looked. It really did. So the point is, Val, if you just shoot for the jobs or shoot the stuff that you think you need to shoot, you're going to run out of um, energy and grow tired of that style of photography. So I think that doing the personal, personal projects and photographing that stuff that you're passionate about, it'll keep you excited and uh, it's a the best way to develop your style. So, so doing that stuff and doing it regularly, not, not every few years, but like at least as often as you can, like every time you get a free moment, cool. go and do a personal project. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big fan of personal projects as well. I think they're great. All right, so number five, what's number five? All right, finally, Val, the know your why. And this is, uh, I think, super, super important. Um, Like, uh, I have a story and... (laughs) Go on. Uh, Okay, so when I was seven, my big brother, he got his first football trophy. So I can still remember, best under 11s, best utility. Okay, so... And it was a little trophy, but it was a big deal in our household. And I think judging by how my parents reacted, you'd think he just scored the winning goal for the World Cup. So, okay, okay, as his sister, his little sister, I was super proud, but there was another emotion in there, Val. Jealousy? Yes, because (laughs) I wanted to be the golden child. So, and I'm like, wow, look at all that attention uh, Anthony's getting because he won this trophy. I want a trophy. I want the attention. So I signed okay. up that week for netball. And oh, yeah. uh, after two Saturdays of getting up at eight and being freezing cold, uh, I quit because I hated being cold, yeah. right? And then okay. the following week, I signed up for little athletics because I thought you get ribbons mm-hmm. and more trophies. That'll be yeah. my that'll be my in. Went twice. Okay. Didn't win. Gave mm-hmm. up. All right. Now, the point is, my brother, he played football, cricket, basketball, gym, every sport he could think of. But 
It never entered into his mindset that he was doing this to win trophies. He just loved playing sport. And the happy side effect of that was that he actually trained all the time, loved doing it. The more he loved doing it, the more he did it. The more he did it, the better he got. The better he got, the more recognition he got. And that's when he started getting more and more trophies. So it's... That, that was his why. And so for me, it wasn't until many, many years later, like when I was in my early teens, that I discovered pottery of all things, Val. And yes. I pestered my parents to sign me up for an adult pottery class for no reason other than, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And I was obsessed. As a young teen, I read every book on pottery, pottery, and and dreamt about it, couldn't sleep at night. And my why, Val, was I loved making pots. And guess what the bonus was? I did it day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. I eventually got a job throwing pots for a company, like making plates, and got paid like really good money to do this. And I started selling my pottery on the side. Now, I never (laughs) went into that as a young teen going, I know how to make money. I'm going to do pottery. I did it because I loved it. And for me, the same thing happened when I first discovered photography. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I love photography. I just want to take photos all the time. I want to travel and take photos. It never entered into my mind that someone would one day pay me to do this, but that was my why. It started with, I love doing this, and it turned out to be something that ended up being a career. So, you know, the point is, what's your why? Why are you doing it? And uh, think about that. And I think that's the the final message of the five things that I think that every photographer must learn. All right. Awesome. Love it. Five things every photographer must know. Um, All right. We've come to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Gina? Oh, my God. I've got such a big week. I'm all over the place. and uh, But I'm just about to go and... uh, Get, I, I got dressed for this. You know how I said I was sitting around in my undies? I want the listeners yeah, to yeah. know that I'm not <laughs> sitting in my undies to record because I respect That's you guys. Good. I do. Okay. I get dressed Thanks. for these episodes, but as soon as this is over, back in my undies again. <laughs> Happy dance. Not, not as weird as you, Val. I, I'm not sitting here in my undies. Oh, I know, but you've I got other I... weird things that you do. So, yeah. What are you okay, doing this week? Sure. Um, this week, so many things that I can't even, um, <laughs> I can't even think of what they are. <laughs> so uh, many things. It, will it involve yeah, G and T and quince and mouldy cheese? No, I think I've uh, had enough cheese. It's because I didn't eat cheese for like months mm. before the Lunar Festival thing because I knew I was going to be on television. Oh, so you wanted <laughs> to look good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so because I was on like the breakfast shows and stuff like that and it's like I just can't eat cheese. So literally the day after Hoovered it finished, it? Hoovered I started how many kilos? Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll be able to eat cheese. I have no I switch with cheese either. I can buy 500 grams and eat that <laughs> in a sitting. And I've done that with you. We've ordered cheese platters yeah. for 10 people and eaten the whole thing ourselves. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Code word so cheese. Think, if you're still listening, cheese. Every, a lot yeah. got a lot of toast replies from a few episodes back. Oh, yes. <laughs> so um, I yeah because I've uh, overcompensated 
on the cheese after not eating it for months. Yeah. Uh, I think I might lay off the cheese this week. All right. So where do we find you online, Gina? I'm at uh, ginamilicia.com. So that's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And all social media, you can find me at Gina Militia. If you want to work with me one-on-one in person in Sicily, then check out the Sicily photo workshop. So there's a link in the show notes, May 27 to June 2nd. And, of course, if you want to be mentored by me, then check out the gold community. So just head to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val, at the cheese aisle and where else? (laughs) You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, make sure you connect with both of us in the Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. It's free and we'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.